Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Greetings and welcome to the Saputo Incorporated financial results for the fiscal year ended March 31st, 2021 and Global Strategic Plan Presentation Conference Call. During the presentation, all participants will be in the listen-only mode. Afterwards, we will conduct a question and answer session. At that time, if you have a question, please press the one followed by the four on your telephone. If at any time during the conference you need to reach an operator, please press star zero. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded on Thursday, June 3rd, 2021. I would now like to turn the conference over to Marlene. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Taking part in the webcast are Lino Saputo, Maxim Terrien, Kai Bachman, and Carl Kalitza. Today's webcast will be divided into two parts. First, Lino will provide an overview of our fourth quarter results before opening it up for questions on this topic. Lino, Maxim, Kai, and Carl will then present an overview of our new global strategic plan and overarching organic growth strategy, followed by a second Q&A period. Analysts will be invited to ask questions during the designated Q&A periods. All other participants will remain on a listen-only mode. Please note that if you are joining us by phone, you will not be able to see the visual component of the presentation. You must join the webcast for full access to the content. Before we begin, I remind you, this webcast is being recorded and will be posted on our website along with the investor presentation we are showing. Please also note that some of the statements provided during this call are forward-looking. Such statements are based on assumptions that are subject to risks and uncertainties. We refer to our cautionary statements regarding forward-looking information in our annual report, press releases, and filings. Please treat any forward-looking information with caution, as our actual results could differ materially. We do not accept any obligation to update this information, except as required under securities legislation. I'll now hand it over to Lino. Thank you, Marlene. This is an exciting day for us, and I'm pleased to be here with key members of our executive team for this special edition of our conference call and webcast presentation. In a year of exceptional challenges, I begin by saying I'm immensely proud of the resilience and the dedication of our passionate employees worldwide. Without waiver, they remain focused on the job at hand, despite the many changes we've all lived through. The effects of the pandemic still present to date, lingered on during our fourth quarter with the ongoing shift in consumer demand, continuing to impact all of our sectors to varying degrees. Overall sales volumes were lower when compared to our fourth quarter last year, which at the time coincided with the onset of the pandemic and the related surge in retail demand. Moreover, U.S. market factors negatively impacted adjusted EBITDA a different story than we saw in other quarters this fiscal year. 
International market prices were also lower versus the prior year, putting downward pressure on results. Food service activities remain below pre-pandemic levels, with the U.S. sector mostly affected, although we expect demand to recover as vaccination efforts intensify. The industrial market segment performed well, and we recorded higher export sales while still contending with country-specific COVID restrictions. When I look at it globally, in an unpredictable and difficult environment, I'm satisfied with the solid performance we've delivered this year. We proved our ability to pivot our operations to new circumstances while supporting our front line and staying on course with strategic investments aimed at fueling growth. Through the ebbs and flows of the fiscal year, we were forced to adapt and leverage our strengths like never before. We are now a more flexible organization on all fronts, and we're certainly going to take advantage of this. COVID-19 may have cost us a year of adjusted EBITDA growth, but knowledge was gained and our business moved forward. Notably, this fiscal year, we merged our two legacy USA divisions and developed a concrete game plan to take our largest operating sector to the next level with guidance from our newly combined and enhanced U.S. leadership team. We believe putting the right talent in the right place is vital as we begin to write our next chapter. Consequently, I'd like to shine a spotlight on Leanne Cutts, who will join us later in calendar 2021 as President and COO International in Europe. Leanne will bring a wealth of expertise to our ranks. She is currently the Global Chief Marketing Officer at one of the world's largest banks and previously held senior management positions in Australia, Asia, and the UK. Leanne will bring to the table extensive experience in marketing, new product development, manufacturing, and operations, having worked for global companies in food and beverage and in the consumer healthcare industry. In recent acquisition news, we're delighted to have had two files come to fruition. We welcome the Butte Island Foods team and their wealth of knowledge in dairy alternative cheese products to the Saputo family. Our commitment remains to expand our footprint in this space to meet the changing demands of customers and consumers. This investment marks an important milestone, allowing us to accelerate our growth in dairy alternatives globally. We're adding 180 new Scotland-based colleagues to our family, including the founders who have decades of experience under their belt. Now, on this side of the pond, we recently closed a previously announced deal to purchase the Reedsburg facility of Wisconsin Specialty Protein. This facility manufactures value-added ingredients such as goat whey, organic lactose, and other dairy powders. We're pleased to welcome its 40 employees to our talented Saputo Dairy USA team. This acquisition will enable us to broaden and increase the value of our ingredients offering, enhancing our product portfolio in the U.S. as well as internationally. Both of these acquisitions align with our M&A priorities and complement the objectives of our global strategic plan, unlocking new growth avenues for us. As you can see, we're already hitting the ground running in regard to the launch 
of our new global strat line. It lays out how we will drive accelerated organic growth across our business as part of our three-pronged approach to growth, in addition to strategic acquisitions and our commitment to the Saputo promise. We'll go into more detail with this following the Q&A. Once again, I'd like to thank every Saputo employee for their ongoing passion and dedication. Although the pandemic continues to impact our business to some degree, our consistent results mirror the care and expertise of our exceptional team. So, I'll pause here to answer a few questions you may have about Q4 and the year-end results before we get into our Stratland presentation. So, Frank, you'll queue up our analyst for questions, please. Thank you. If you would like to register a question, please press the 1-4 on your telephone. You will hear a three-tone prompt to acknowledge your request. If your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the 1 followed by the 3. One moment, please, for the first question. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Our first question comes from Irene Natal with RBC Capital Markets. Please proceed. Thanks, and good afternoon, everyone. Um, I was wondering if you could please provide just a little bit more color on what you saw through the course of fiscal Q4, particularly in the U.S., um, where kind of with the pace of reopening, I think that we all expected a little bit of a, a not a little bit, a somewhat stronger outcome. Uh, yes, thank you for that question, Irene. So let me just say that we came out of this pandemic in great shape. Although, as I indicated in my opening statement, there were ebbs and flows, and there were some very strong points and some very, uh, uh, I guess, low levels of, uh, of results in certain specific areas. Uh, I would say the U.S. business has been challenged throughout the, the four quarters. Uh, a lot of our sales and a lot of our volume was directed towards uh, food service and industrial accounts, which had some difficulty uh, adjusting to the uh, uh, new realities of consumer demand. Uh, and then, of course, we had other issues, uh, specifically in the U.S., with uh, labor shortages uh, and some spikes in certain regions with, uh, uh, with COVID-19. I'm going to ask Kai first to lead the way in terms of what we saw in terms of market dynamics and perhaps maybe get uh, Carl uh, to add a bit of color for Q4 specifically. I'll talk to International, and then I'll hand it off to Carl, since he's here with us today, to talk to the U.S. If you look at uh, our export business uh, in Q4, um, just some context, a lot of our uh, contracts in uh, Asia-Pacific primarily are longer-term in nature, so quarterly to half a year in nature. And when these contracts were locked in, uh, this, was during, uh, this was at the peak of the pandemic, which saw depressed pricing across a uh, large variety of the commodity products that we produce in uh, our international platform. Um, and we also had an issue in terms of uh, the challenge of the uh, shortage of containers 
container availability. It's uh, widely known that uh, this was an issue uh, facing uh, our industry uh, as well as other manufacturers and exporters. And we're in fact actually seeing a trickling of uh, some of the volumes at those depressed prices as we enter this quarter. The good news is that as we enter the second quarter that we already are seeing a lot uh, more robust uh, pricing agreements in place as a result of these key markets recovering from the pandemic as these markets uh, continue to open up at an aggressive pace. Uh, with that, I'll pass it on to Carl just to give some color around the U.S. Thanks, Guy. Um, yeah, for sure, the reopening of the, the markets on the food service side was welcome, but uh, let's keep in mind that there are uh, a significant amount, if not over 10% of the uh, restaurant uh, businesses that did not reopen. And that's, that's a fact that we're going to have to deal with moving forward. So the smaller moms and pops and so forth, that we, we have good business through the uh, broad-based distributors. Um, so that did not come back in full strength. We did have uh, challenges and continue to have challenges around labor, uh, less so around the impacts of COVID uh, as far as uh, impacted employees, but rather one of availability. And we're no different than many manufacturers right now in the U.S. that are struggling with reality, the access and the availability of, of, uh, of labor. I would also tell you that uh, in that quarter, we were hit with some material inflation uh, in, in a number of areas, especially freight. So freight and distribution was a real problem uh, on the uh, U.S. territory uh, with uh, cost and availability of lanes uh, put quite a bit of pressure on us. And then I would say lastly, uh, it's actually one of the uh, only quarters that the market conditions as far as the block and milk price relationship was not favorable for us. Um, so welcome opening of the markets. Um, but we had some very unfavorable conditions. Uh, but we'll hear a little bit more about it for us here uh, in our strat plan and how we're going to address some of these things. Now, inflation is uh, a challenge that we're facing uh, as a group. However, uh, Carl, together with the U.S. team and the Canadian teams, are uh, implementing uh, price cost recovery initiatives to make sure that we capture those inflationary pressures. So, Irene, we went into a little bit more than just the uh, Q4 USA. We've covered a little bit of the international markets. Uh, I'm wondering if you have any follow-up questions. No, follow-up questions are around the acquisitions and, and what you're going to do, but I guess we're going to hear about that in the next part of the call, correct? Uh, absolutely, but let me tell you that the pipeline still remains full. Our balance sheet is clean. Uh, so beyond the strat plan, and you're giving me a great opportunity to talk about this as well. I mean, we're focusing a lot on the strat plan today. But beyond the strat plan, uh, we still have a strong appetite to materialize acquisitions uh, in those markets where we think they could complement our plans for organic growth as well. Uh, so, yeah, more to come on that front. I'll give you a definition of uh, the different geographies and areas we're looking at once we get to our presentation. That's great. Thanks, Lino. Our next question comes from Mark Petrie with CIBC. Please proceed. Yeah, good afternoon. Uh, I just wanted to follow up actually on that comment with regards to pricing to offset some of the inflationary pressures. Is it your expectation that sort of Q1 would be a bit of a transition period and then Q2 would more fully reflect those price increases and a more normalized balance or how should we think about that? Um, yeah, I would say that uh, from a uh, 
quarter perspective, we will be taking some actions and have begun taking action here in Q1. Uh, Q2 would better reflect both in the U.S. and Canada um, the the uh, pricing actions that we are going to take throughout uh, our portfolio. On the international front, uh, pricing initiatives have already taken place, and the good news is that you know retailers, it's not um, you know they're expecting price increases from their suppliers uh, because we're in an environment that uh, is, you know, there's significant inflationary pressure. Uh, so that bodes well for us, and we will continue to roll that out across the other divisions as well. And, Mark, one, one final comment that I would make there, too, is that uh, compared to historical levels of balance between uh, uh, supply and demand, solids available and demand, uh, there's a much better balance in the industry globally today than there has been I would say in the last uh, probably four years or so. Okay, and that sort of segues to my second question, I guess, which is just a, a general outlook, Lino, if you could, with regards to the commodity environment. Obviously, it has been volatile. As you noted, Carl, uh, the market factors in the U.S. Uh, have, have bounced around a lot. Um, what's your what's your general expectation? Obviously, with the caveat that you know nobody knows for sure, but your general expectation with regards to the commodity environment uh, over uh, for, for fiscal 22. Yeah, I'll take that one, Mark. Uh, from a commodity standpoint, as Lino alluded to, uh, we're seeing a better balance from a supply and demand uh, standpoint. Uh, if we look at total global milk production, we're looking at one to one and a half percent growth. And with uh, the uh, key markets opening up, we're seeing increased demand, and we are seeing a firming up of prices across uh, the key commodity products, uh, not only on the cheese side, but also on the ingredients. And uh, we are seeing this reflected in the, uh, the prices we're securing for our orders moving into Q2 and the balance of the fiscal year. Carl, I don't know if you had something to touch on in the U.S.? No, I, I, I would say the same, uh, the same is occurring here uh, in, in the U.S., um, the abundance of there is an abundance of milk in the U.S., so it's uh, you know it has grown at low single digits uh, throughout the year. I would say that uh, if we look a little bit forward to some of the inflationary pressures on the feed side for milk, um, milk farming is going to get more expensive. So we're going to see some of that dynamic play into uh, the availability of milk and the pricing of milk, which would be subsequent to the you know uh, the pricing of block. Uh, but overall, uh, you know, the supply of milk has been uh, right where we need it to be. Okay, helpful. Thanks, okay. and I'll leave the rest for uh, for the second half. Thanks. Our next question comes from Michael Van Elst with TD Securities. Please proceed. Thank you. Uh, I want to start by clarifying a few things. Uh, on the international side, you talked about pricing being down. Uh, year over year, although the commodities I look at, uh, the spot prices were at least higher year over year. Uh, cheese was flat, the other ones were, were a decent amount higher. So when you're, in your commentary, is that, are you basically alluding to the to the three to six month contracts uh, that you'd locked into on international and therefore your, your, your pricing is lagging? That is correct, Michael. Uh, there's a lag effect and we were in a situation where we had to move volumes in, uh, at the peak of the pandemic. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're seeing a little bit of that volume trickling into uh, the first quarter. 
but uh, we're anticipating uh, Q2 moving forward that uh, the pricing will uh, improve noticeably. Okay. All right. And then in the U.S., um, so when we look at other food service suppliers, a lot of them are talking about the, the level of activity being pretty comparable to, to 2019 levels uh, during uh, at least kind of February, March, April. And I'm wondering, is it is your food service lower year over year because of um, just because of the timing, like you don't really have April and, and April is starting to pick up? Um, or is it because you have a decent amount of business that, that goes to that 10% of restaurants that didn't reopen? Uh, it's a good question, and I, and I would I would tell you this combination of both. Uh, again, with the you know the broad-based distributors that we work with, uh, we do have a um, material amount of volume that goes to that kind of full-service restaurant. Um, that is not the ones that are rebounding right now. What you're seeing is those that still offer the most of conveniences. Um, it's a lot better now than it was in Q4, uh, but I got to tell you, it was a slow ramp up from uh, that perspective. And uh, in some cases, uh, you know, we, some of the majors that we work with on a national level did not perform as well as others. Um, so we got to bear that in mind. But we are a lot more optimistic about uh, Q1, Q2 here for the entirety of the food service sector. Okay. And then finally on Europe, uh, I understand that you had some pantry stocking last year, but can you help us understand how much of the decrease in revenues and, and profits year over year was tied to the pantry stocking versus how much is due to lower industrial business um, and whether or not that industrial business is still on track to come back in, in Q1? Yeah, Mike, uh, this is Max. Uh, so the uh, the down, um, about 20, uh, 20 plus million, um, on the revenue side for the UK is really attributable to volume and within the, the volume not so much ingredient it was a uh, you know cheese butter and spread type categories okay and on the ingredient side um, has that have you started to see any benefits from expanding your customer base well, we, uh, you know, it's sort of we're pressing the reset button on the ingredient side because the efforts, uh, we had some struggles last year uh, in terms of landing uh, certain key accounts. And China was in a situation where demand was on the downside. Uh, but as of this quarter, we're seeing a pickup in volume. So we're seeing uh, better conditions as we move forward on the ingredient side. And, and Michael, just on the note, probably what you're referring to as well is, are we controlling our own destiny there? And the answer is yes. Uh, we've gotten out of uh, some of the uh, limitations we had uh, relative to the contracts that were signed before we acquired the business. Uh, so we are now in a position where we can control our own destiny. Okay, but I'd assume you're not, you're still ramping up and you're not back to where you were before in ingredient sales for the infant formula? No, we're definitely uh, ramping up, Michael, and uh, we're, what we're doing is we're diversifying our portfolio of customers and markets and not uh, trying to put, not trying to rely on uh, all of our eggs in one basket. All right. Thank you. Our next question comes from Peter Sklar with BMO. Please proceed. 
Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm sorry to belabor the point about the U.S. performance. And uh, Carl, you've done a good job, you know, outlining all the factors that impacted the U.S. business in the fourth fiscal quarter. But what I was curious about, if you look, like in the fourth fiscal quarter, the U.S. business had 94 million of EBITDA. If you look at Q3, the immediately preceding quarter, the U.S. business had 171 million of EBITDA. And Carl, I would have thought that many of the things that you talked about that negatively impacted Q4 results would have also impacted negatively impacted Q3 results. You know, the decline in food service, the labor shortage, restaurants not reopening, freight costs, et cetera, et cetera. So why, why was, I'm just trying to understand, why was there such a significant decline in the profitability performance of the U.S., you know, in Q4 versus Q3? Uh, Peter, this is Max. Uh, just to uh, to put in perspective, when we compare Q3 to Q4, uh, we called out at Q3 our uh, you know market factor led by the the, the spread was favorable of, uh, to the tune of 34 million, uh, and this was driven by a, a positive spread of around 18 19 cents. That positive spread did not materialize. Uh, in um, in the Q4, in fact, it was negative about 11 cents, uh, that creating us um, an, a negative impact uh, of the market factor. So when you combine the negative uh, 4 million in Q4 versus the 34 plus uh, in in the Q3, the delta is around the 38 million. Just to put in perspective, when we're comparing Q4 and Q3, so uh, maybe Carl, you want to add up on that. Yeah, I, I won't go back to the market factors, but I, I will say that, you know, uh, January and February were particularly difficult months, uh, even on the uh, fluid side of our business. Uh, we were impacted by uh, a, a couple of different weather events in the U.S., and, you know, no one ever likes to blame weather for anything, but it was real. And uh, we ended up having to shift supply from our network to different parts of the country to keep our customers uh, and, and consumers satisfied. Uh, but that comes at a, at a material cost at a time when the availability of freight, freight lanes, and the cost of those lanes uh, were uh, really not uh, in line with, uh, with the historical rates. So, you know, for, of course, our supply commitments, we do what we do, um, but all of that was negative. Uh, so, you know, it, I'll tell you that in, in some, um, it would be the, uh, the, the milk side that was uh, not as, as uh as performing as what it had been in the, the earlier quarters. Yeah, I, I, Peter, I just want to clarify when uh, Carl talks about fluid and milk, it's really the dairy foods. Uh, he's got his hat on from when he used to be the Canadian president and dividing the two businesses between fluid and cheese. Uh, but when he refers to fluid and milk, it's really dairy foods business. I just want to no, clarify that. Correct. That was my next question, so thanks for clarifying that. And then uh, my last question, as the U.S. recovers, you know, as, as society climbs out of COVID and people start going back to restaurants. And so as you get, um, you know, you'll see some weakness in the retail channel and that will be offset by the strength, uh, you know, in the food service channel. So net-net, how do you think, you know, Saputo's businesses in the U.S. will perform? Because you're, the proportion of your business that's food, that's food service, as opposed to retail channel is about the same. So I take it it's a lot more complex than just in one pocket out the other. And 
you think you're going to be net positive, if you can just kind of go through how the recovery looks. Um, it's it, a really good question, and you know, we you heard us say that uh, over the, uh, the 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 last fiscal year through the pandemic, um, the gains in in the retail side did not offset the losses we had in our industrial and, and food service sector, um, and you would expect that now that there's that rebound, we would we would benefit, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that yes, we will. Um, you know, yes, the retail sector is slowing down. The demand is not as high as it used to be. Um, but what we're going to see specific for Saputo is uh, our customer base and food service coming back with the kinds of demand that we are used to. And on the retail side, we struggled uh, throughout this pandemic year on supply in some key categories of our products uh, on, re on the retail shelf when the demand was very high. Um, we have solved and are solving for some of those supply shortages um, and we'll be able to actually, despite a lower demand in retail, be in a better position for supply uh, of our, our, our brands and our, and our products. So um, I expect this change in the consumer channels to be favorable for us. Okay, um, that's all I have, thanks. Our next question comes from Vishal Sridhar with National Bank Financial. Please proceed. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my question. With respect to the price increases implemented, um, are those being followed in the market? I know, uh, Lino, in the past, at several junctures, you've talked about irrational competition. So I'm wondering if, if, uh, if you're seeing competition follow this, uh, these inflationary price increases as well. Um, specific from a North American perspective, I, uh, I would say that, you know, our pricing protocols vary from customer to customer and, and channel to channel. Um, overall, and, and you would have heard other uh, CPGs speak of this and the need to come to market with price increases because of, the, of these uh, inflationary pressures. So uh, from the, I'll say, the reconnaissance that we have in the market space, um, it, it is a generalized increase coming from uh, from all angles, and the same is uh, is true in uh, in Canada. Um, Canada is not shielded from these uh, uh, these inflationary pressures, and we are building that into uh, coming price increases. Um, a little bit different in Canada, of course, because of supply management. Um, but overall, the pricing protocols that we have, we will see some benefits of that, as I mentioned, through the end of Q1 and uh, into Q2. Okay, so uh, is it too early to tell if there's been an elasticity of demand effect on uh, the products where you increased uh, price and at the cost yeah. as well? Uh, I would tell you from the information we have today, which is very early, there's, there has been no changes in demand because of that, uh, nor would I expect it, truthfully, to, uh, to change with the kind of price increases we're talking about. Okay, and... Uh, I don't suppose you can reveal this, but could you give us an idea of the net price increase uh, year over year uh, that Saputo's taken? Well, yeah, for a sensitive uh, reason, uh, this is not a, an area where we're going to go, uh, but uh, certainly we'll be acting uh, responsibly as we move forward with our customers. Okay. Um, uh, thanks. I'll follow up uh, on the strategic plan part.
Our next question comes from Patricia Baker with Scotia Capital. Please proceed. Oh, thank you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. I just want to follow up on the European discussion and the performance in Q4. I certainly understand the dynamics behind um, the, uh, the, 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 the revenue in Q4, but you had a 150 basis point decline in the uh, EBITDA margin in European operations. Can you just provide us with um, some more uh, information on the specific dynamics uh, that drove that decline in the margin? Well, as we alluded to earlier, the uh, ingredients business was a, was a key part of the uh, downturn in the UK performance. And in terms of uh, what we were seeing coming off of the pandemic, there was reduced demand uh, from, our, uh, from our partners. If we look at the three major uh, partners that, uh, that uh, we do business with uh, that are focused on the Asia-Pacific part of the world, uh, for some accounts, they were down close to 50%. Uh, the two other accounts were, were down in the double digits. So they were uh, significantly impacted in their infant formula business, which is, uh, you know, the key components that we produce that go into these products. So that ingredient piece of the business had a, had a, had a big impact on the UK performance. And Max has some more color around the other segment. Yeah, so uh, relative to the volume that we com uh, provided comment on cheese, uh, butter, and spread on the retail side, that volume uh, was the one that was uh, most mainly uh, down, and that created that reduction in revenue. And this is where the highest margins uh, that we can uh, generate from the product, and that dri drives the uh, EBITDA margins down by the point and a half that you're talking about. And we have to. Okay. Uh, and, and we just just wanted to add another uh, another uh, some more color. If you look back at the beginning of the pandemic in the UK, there was a lot of pantry loading that was taking place. And what we saw mm -hmm. in uh, Q4 for the UK business was more of a normalization in terms of uh, the purchase on the retail side. So there wasn't that same level of panic buying in, in that last quarter. Yeah, no, I would have expected that, Kai, and, and, and uh, anticipated that, but I wouldn't have thought that that specifically would impact the margins, but more would impact the, uh, the revenue and, and the volume. But I understand it's just it's the ingredients that uh, disproportionately impacted the margin in in the quarter. I just want to ask about Butte Island Foods. Uh, it, will you be rolling that up into your European uh, results? Pr presumably, you will be. And if you can just talk about what the mix is in that business between food service and retail. Uh, yes, we will be uh, rolling the Butte Island uh, result as part of our uh, UK sector, um, and this could evolve pending the, the growth of our uh, the evolution of our business on on the plant-based side. And Kai, do, do, well, we'll repeat, you know what? We'll, we'll go into more okay. detail with Butte Island and how strategically yeah. it fits in the strat time because I know you got a lot to say on that. Uh, but just from a from a rollout perspective, in terms of numbers, yes, it will be. Uh, part of uh, the uh, UK uh, uh, European sector. Thank you. Look forward to hearing more about it. Our next question comes from Chris Lee with Desjardins Securities. Please proceed. Well, hi, good afternoon. I was wondering if you can give us an update in terms of what you're seeing in the competitive environment in each of your key regions. Yeah, so I'll have uh, Carl start with the U.S. Uh, that's probably a market where we're seeing the most competition. 
uh, and then uh, Kai will give you the rest of the world. Thanks, Lino. Yeah, I would say that um, maybe I'll just speak to uh, one category in particular being uh, mozzarella. Uh, the competition of mozzarella is still very active, uh, lots of capacity in the system. In fact, I would say excess capacity. Uh, so we don't anticipate that to change uh, anytime soon. And quite frankly, the volatility that we've seen in the markets and in, in milk pricing and so forth um, is, is creating a, a number of challenges with the cheese inventory positions that the, the uh, you know the industry as a whole is holding, and in itself uh, is creating a lot of uncertainty and people wanting to bulk buy and/or bulk unload, if you like. So. Um, that volatility has created a lot of competitive pressures, and more specifically to mozzarella, uh, I'll say the overcapacity uh, continues to be something that we navigate through. Uh, Carl, why don't you talk about the categories outside of mozz as well, if you don't mind, please? Sure. Um, in the less commoditized areas, um, it, it, we're, we're in a good place. Uh, I'm going to say that the uh, you know, there's healthy competition in the U.S., a variety of brands that are um, out in the marketplace, but can, cheese consumption continues to grow. And I think that's the key to remember uh, with, a, you know, 2 to 3% growth in the overall cheese category. Uh, it continues to be, and I'm talking dairy here specifically, right? So it continues to be uh, an area where we will be investing in and innovation and so forth. And you'll hear a little bit more about that in our strat plan on the areas that we'll exploit uh, in the U.S. and in Canada. On the international side, uh, starting with uh, our uh, Cathedral City brand, we talk a lot about it, but it continues to perform extremely well, uh, hitting record uh, you know, revenue figures uh, this last fiscal year. And uh, even on the spread side in the UK, we're seeing very strong performance uh, with our Clover brand. Uh, we, don't, we don't talk about Frylight a lot, but that's uh, hitting record levels as well, 15% growth year over year uh, on that side of the business. If we go to Argentina, La Paulina uh, continues to perform extremely well. Uh, our competitors are having a tough time in that geography. There's a lot of uh, COVID-related uh, uh, angst, uh, but uh, as a result of our export platform, La Paulina does perform very well in other markets as well, including Brazil and, and Russia. And then when you go down under, uh, we're excited about the uh, Cheer rebranding, and uh, that's the number one brand on the uh, everyday, everyday cheese side. Uh, that continues to perform very well for us. Uh, Devondale, Liddell's on the lactose-free range continues to uh, lead the market. And then our specialty brands are also performing very well uh, on the uh, Lion Specialty Legacy side. Um, so there is increased activity, competitive activity, when it comes to milk supply in Australia. So we are seeing uh, some of our competitors that are offering higher milk prices, but we do have uh, initiatives underway to ensure that we protect the milk base that we have and uh, to continue to grow on the, uh, on the base of volume that we have. That's uh, very helpful. Maybe just a follow-up just on the U.S. mozzarella competition. Do you expect maybe the volatility or the intensity of competition start maybe to ease a little bit as the service sales volumes uh, hopefully improve uh, um, later in the year to absorb some of the excess capacity? Um, certainly, the you know increased demand um, will help. 
as well as the increased demand internationally. Let's not forget that we have players in the U.S., including Saputo, that do sell internationally, and, and international markets uh, have been struggling with COVID, no different than here in North America, and outlets for some of that cheese uh, had been diminished. Uh, some of that is uh, on the rebound, and we do expect that also to help. But I would you know, also underscore that Pre-COVID, we were also in a um, overcapacity situation. Uh, so, you know, the I'll say the uh, it'll take a few more. It'll take a little bit more time due to COVID to get back in line with supply and demand. Okay, that's helpful. I mean, the last question, just on a very high-level basis, if you're able to execute on these uh, pricing initiatives that you plan to offset the uh, input cost but, uh, pressure. Just on a high-level basis, do you expect that to more or less fully offset those pressure, and therefore it will be mostly neutral on the EBITDA line, or do you still expect this to be a, a net negative on, on EBITDA, at least for the, for the current fiscal year? Yeah, so Chris, it'll be a combination of uh, two things, uh, pricing action one, and then cost containment on the other. So, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that in the strat plan moving forward, uh, just some of the uh, continuous improvements initiatives that would require some CapEx allocation to get there, but uh, it would be a combination of the two things, price increases as well as cost containment or continuous improvement in our operations. Okay, great, thank you. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. There are no further. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.